0: So, pretty boring week, right? Not much going on in the world, Uh, not much happening uh, around us, Uh, just plain old, plain old normalcy, right? Okay. We are not going to uh, dive into Genesis 50 this morning. We are probably doing that next week. This morning, what I wanted to do, in light of the fact that we just had a gigantic election um, and... In all seriousness, uh, our country is as divided and divisive and angry and mad and all of the above in a way that I'm not sure that I have seen in my lifetime. Maybe that has been in other people's lifetimes. I wanted to discuss this morning a couple biblical principles for all of us to live by when it comes to a Christian response to the government period. And this is, not, this is not even confined to the American government. This is, this is throughout all of church history. There is a biblical principle that we are supposed to be living by, and I want us to look at that. And I want us to, to ask God, before I get started, I want to ask for His help that we would hear what the Scripture is saying, um, and that our hearts would not be totally wrapped up into what's happening every day on the news and every day on YouTube and every day on Facebook, but that our hearts would be captivated and centered and grounded deep into what Scripture says. Because everything else, and we just sang a song about it, all everything else is sinking sand, and that is the truth. So let's, let's pray and let's ask, let's ask God for help to go through this today. Father, we thank you for this day. We rejoice this is the day you have made. You called this day into existence before you ever created the world that we're living in. This world is in your hands and you are the sovereign king over its every day. And so this morning we woke up to a beautiful sunrise and we are living in your times and our times are in your hands. God, we pray this morning that you would help us to see and to hear what you're saying through your word, and God, help me to communicate it in a way that is helpful to everyone that's here. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. If you were to look at the top of my notes, it says, Joe Biden, probably president, and I put probably because, as we all know, and this is relevant to my sermon, there will be lawsuits starting tomorrow. The last time that happened uh, was in 2000 in the state of Florida. Does everybody remember that? The hanging chads. Uh, We probably won't be hearing about hanging chads. We've advanced a little bit from that. Uh, I'm sure there will be stuff in the news cycle every single day. There already is. And uh, if you could put a thermometer on social media, it would probably be 738,000 degrees Kelvin in terms of the temperature of people's love and understanding towards one another as we all express our love for others who think differently than us. Or perhaps that's not what you're seeing. Perhaps what you are seeing is the absolute disintegration of civility amongst us. And the reason I bring this up on a Sunday morning uh, is because it infects people in the church And because it does, it's something that that we need to address. And what I want us to do is to look biblically at what we are supposed to do. And what we are supposed to do is not always easy. The sermon I'm going to preach is a sermon that I'm going to preach the same way that I eat Brussels sprouts when I'm eight years old and mom makes me. Do you remember that? You have to eat the Brussels sprouts because mom stuck it in front of you, and if you didn't eat the Brussels sprouts, you didn't get ice cream later. Or maybe you just got spanked and had to sit at the table, depending on the draconian measures of your parents. I am libertarian in my political persuasion. Therefore, everything I'm going to say grates against a lot of my flesh, and it needs to. It needs to because... The Bible is the center of my life, not a political philosophy. Is everybody with me? And so the opinions that we have politically need to be tempered through what Scripture says if we are going to be faithful Christians. So the very first principle that I want us to look at is found, well, actually, um, Daryl, you've got those verses. The very first verse, you don't have to... If, if you all would turn to Daniel chapter 2, while you're turning there, you, Daryl, would you put the verse up, 1 Timothy 6, 14? This is in the middle of a verse. Um, that's, I think that's verse 14, yes. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession... To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here comes, which he will display at the proper time, his coming, which, by the way, have you heard any speculation that Jesus must be coming back in like in the next 10 minutes? Anybody heard this too? Like that's all out there. Which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. Now, that is not a word that we use. Very much, but what, what does that mean? He is the only sovereign. A sovereign means the king over a kingdom. The sovereign, the king. He is the only sovereign, and in case that's not strong enough, the king of kings and lord of lords. Paul, in his address to Timothy, telling us about his coming and that's going to be in his own time, that Jesus is the only sovereign of the universe. He is the king of kings, and he is the lord of lords. That means all kings and all governments and all policies and all politics, and that doesn't matter if it's in America or Zimbabwe, it doesn't matter where it's at, it's all under the king, the sovereign of the universe, Jesus. Okay, now let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Just wanted to say that first. Because Jesus is the only sovereign, because he is the king of kings, when you see what Daniel says about kings themselves, you find something interesting, and I'm just going to be honest before we even read it, it's not easy for us to accept. Okay, what I'm about to read is going to make you go, wait a second, so let's read it, and then you can say, wait a second, and then we'll talk about, wait a second. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. Kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. This is Daniel who is, in, who is saying a prayer because Nebuchadnezzar wants an answer to the dream that he's had. And Daniel asked God for an interpretation of the dream and actually for the dream itself. God revealed that to him. And this is how Daniel responded Daniel responded by saying, and this is really important in verse 21, God changes times and seasons. And he removes kings and sets up kings. So here's where everybody says, wait a second. Nebuchadnezzar is not a great king. In fact, a little bit later on, God is going to bring judgment on Nebuchadnezzar and make him act like a wild animal, and he's going to live outside, because Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was greater than everything, and God brought him down low. But Daniel is telling us a truth that we as Christians need to center our mind on and our heart, and that is, God is in charge. Of who is in charge? He puts leadership in, and he takes leadership out. So Alexander the Great, God put him there. President Nixon, God put him there. Name anybody else? You don't want to name any of the scary ones, right? Idi Amin. Adolf Hitler, God puts in kingdoms and he tears down kingdoms. God does it in his mercy and he does it in his judgment. He does it in both directions. What what Daniel is acknowledging is that this wicked king Nebuchadnezzar, who is going to, as you're going to see, give praise and homage to God... He is not responsible for being the king. God, He would not be there if God didn't put him there. That's the point. If you just scoot on over to chapter 4 of Daniel, you're going to hear of a dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 17 of chapter 4. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. He had this dream of these like watchers and angels coming down the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it the kingdom of men to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. God is in charge of who is in charge. So every dictator... Every wise king throughout Israel's history and every poor king, every single leader across the world throughout the history of the world has been in the ultimate plan of God. Not everything they've done has been what you would call God's prescriptive will, meaning the will of God that he commands us to live by, but it's been a part of his what you would call decretal will, which means God has a plan. It's like this big overarching plan. But in that plan, there are leaders that are both good and bad. In that plan, as God is marching us all towards the end, we believe Jesus is coming back, right? He's returning, right? There's a second coming. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We've got a chart back here if you want to look at all the different interpretations. But there's... At some point in the future, Jesus is coming back and he is moving history to that spot. And as God does that, he is doing things that I, if you ask me, well, why did God do that? I, I don't know. Why did? Just look at our recent, because that's where we're at. Let's look at our recent political history. We went from Bill Clinton to George Bush to Barack Obama, to Donald Trump, to probably Joe Biden. Left, right, left, right, left, right. And each time this pendulum has swung to the left and to the right, if you haven't noticed, the volume and the temperature of our country has gotten angrier, louder, and more divisive. Now, politicians have always been hated, rightfully so, just, just, sorry, But we used to be able to disagree in a way that didn't affect the fact that I was coming over to your house for a cookout later. Right? And I'm talking about our entire country. I'm not alone in noticing that the division is deep. It's, and it's vicious. The reason I'm showing you this, the reason we're going over this is because we as Christians need to step back and say, wait a second, I may or may not have voted for this guy, but he's the guy that God's putting in there. So you know what? I'm going to trust the one who's in charge of the ones who are in charge. That doesn't mean that I have to like the person in charge. For the most part... I've not liked any of the people in charge. I mean, and I'm not just saying that as some kind of cop-out. I, 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 I would just like to be left alone. That's my style of government. Just leave me alone. But that's not how it works. God is in charge of the people in charge. This isn't the only place that the Bible says this. I want you to go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. And I don't have, listen, you could spend a long time on this topic. But I wanted to give you something biblically to go into this next week because I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. But I have a feeling that it could get worse before we get clarity and what I want us to be as Christians and what I believe we should be is a light standing on a shining hill showing the light of the love of Jesus Christ and not the burning fire of our rage Romans chapter 13 let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. That's, That's exactly what Daniel said. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Pause. This is the Roman government, which was wicked, wicked, gross, I have been reading the City of God by St Augustine and as he goes through the history of the Roman and the stuff they were doing wow horrific that authority though is instituted by God that doesn't mean there's a seal of approval on everything the authority is doing can can we make that distinction okay want to make that distinction, In God put senators and Congress in in our country, and he put in a a Supreme Court. It is a wildly incredible experiment of uh, republic, democracy, and it's been incredible what this country has been and what it has done. It is not perfect. I made a decision a little over 40 years ago called Roe v. Wade that has murdered millions of babies with the legal stamp of approval. And it is an abomination to God. God is not stamping, I approve on everything governments do, but He is instituting those same governments. And here it tells me Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And here's why. I want you to hear why that is. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. They are not there to punish good conduct. If governments are punishing good conduct, they are in violation of Romans 13. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear of the one who, hit, who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Even unbelieving, pagan, deity-worshipping Roman centurions, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Cheating on your taxes is bad, even though I disagree with where my tax money goes. Because my own conscience will get me, even if the IRS does not. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now the reason that this can be complicated is some people can take this and say, you just have to do whatever the government says. And I would say to you, no, that is not what this is teaching. This is specifically teaching In civil magistrate issues in particular, things like you don't want to be in trouble, then don't steal from your neighbor. Don't vandalize. Don't take their sheep. Or in our culture, did you steal the bike off their porch? Well, then you're going to pay a fine. Did you break the speed limit? Probably. If they pull you over, how many of you have been pulled over for breaking the speed limit and just knew, well, okay. I got caught. How many of you know that feeling, like, dang it? Okay, we all, I see all the smiles, right. I, I got pulled over the other day in Chesapeake because there's not a lot of stuff happening in Chesapeake, so pulling me over for doing one of those sliding stops at the stop sign is clearly a good use of civic time. See how, see how gracious I am and how I feel. Um, but was I wrong? I was wrong. Did I deserve to pay the fine? Yes, I did deserve to pay the fine. Steve, if you don't want to fear the authority, then stop at the stop sign. Even though it's a stop sign in the middle of nowhere, and there's nobody there, and it's totally a worthless stop sign. And if it were up to me, I would cut the stop sign down. But that's not what's important. I'm giving you something funny and small because that branches out into a lot of other things. But if the governments institute policies like abortion, I should say no, do everything I can to say no to that issue. If governments institute things like homosexual marriage, which I believe is biblically antithetical to everything the Bible has to say about marriage, I should be able to say no. The church doesn't get to set the policy, but the church does get to prophetically say, no, by prophetically I mean we are in the role as children of God to say this is what God says. There's a lot of things like that. So I am not suggesting that we just, well, God put the government in, that means we do do and go along with everything the government does. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that our attitude and our disposition has got to be one of pay taxes to who it's owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. (laughs) Honor to whom honor is owed. I am the chiefest of sinners, church. My wife is smiling with a gigantic amen smile because she lives with me. But this is what we are supposed to be doing. Respecting those in authority. Honoring those in authority. I was going to read you the Westminster Confession, but I'm I'm not going to do that. I will say that simply put, the church is to honor and respect the law of the land, including the paying of taxes that we don't want to pay. And everything else that goes along with being a citizen of a country As long as the government is not telling me to do something contrary to God's word, in which case we say no, and as long as the government is not forbidding me to do something that the Bible commands me to do, in which case we say no, and the example of that is in the book of Acts when they tried to get Peter to stop preaching and he said, if I should obey God or man, you tell me, I'm going to continue to preach, and he got thrown in prison for it and ultimately Peter was killed, as was the apostle Paul as was the vast majority of all of the apostles. They were all murdered by the government, whom they said to respect. Can you juxtapose these things? Christianity is everybody wants everything to be simple, easy cereal box. It's not. There there is required of Christians to use both their heart and their brain and scripture, and we are supposed to agonize over what the text of the Bible says, not just look for some quick, easy answer. we got to look in here and say, okay, what do I do with this? I don't like the governor. I don't like the president. I don't like the president we just had. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. Four years from now, I probably won't like that person. What do I, what do, I do? This is what we do. We honor and we respect those in authority because we are Christians, and this is what we're called to do. The Apostle Paul was being arrested by the very government that he's telling you to show honor towards. If that isn't a juxtaposition of weirdness, I don't know what is. Paul also used his civic authority as a Roman citizen when they arrested him and he said, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen without a trial and scared the guard half to death? There's, that's in the book of Acts. So we are not to disengage from our culture and disengage from politics. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is we are to disengage from the rancor and the ugliness and the horrific amount of, if you did this or you voted this way, you are a hell spawn heretic horrible person and I will disassociate myself from you. We must not give in to the spirit of the age. And listen, it's always been like this to a certain extent, but it has never been as intense as it is right this second. Am I right? I know, I know I'm right because we're all feeling the same thing. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew 28. I'm still just establishing biblically that Jesus is in charge of those who are in charge. And because He's in charge and put those authorities in, even the ones we don't like Matthew 28, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read something out of Acts 1 as well. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to stop and think about that. Jesus crucified, ascended to the Father, back down on the earth, seen by all kinds of witnesses, 40 days, lived 40 days, ate with them, hung out around a campfire and ate fish with the, with the disciples, 40 days in his glorified body. They are on the earth, and this is the last thing that he says in Matthew that is recorded, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is no authority above him. There is no government above Him. He is above all governments. He institutes those governments. But then He tells us something. Go therefore, because all the authority has been given to Me, you go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How many different governments are, are, are that? How many different governments did the disciples go into? All kinds of different governments. Thomas goes into India with with its caste system. Paul goes into all kinds of different areas under the Roman Empire. Peter dealt a lot with the Jewish system that was also underneath the Roman Empire. There There were layers upon layers upon layers of complications just like today. It is, there is nothing new under the sun. Our dealing with it is new to us. But you can turn to the Bible and say, wait a second, there's other Christians that have went through life that's divided, life that is partisan, life that is politically driven right now. The uniqueness to us is is having instantaneous access to the immediate opinions of everybody around us. And my suggestion to you though not in the Bible is, I got off Facebook again about two months ago and it was a cleansing to the soul. I'm just going to tell you a cleansing to the soul to just back out for a little bit and not be inundated with the non-stop opinion factory that is Facebook. But Jesus is telling me here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me You go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. My authority extends to all nations. I am over the governments of all nations. I am the king over the hearts of all people. I am the Lord. Go. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Those are powerful words, and it's a commission. This is called the Great Commission. But the Great Commission is grounded and has its stability in the reality that Jesus is Lord over everything. And because He's Lord, and because He's King, you and I should have the confidence to go into the world and tell it Jesus is the Lord of everything. Jesus died for the sins of this people. In fact, I've got a new little quote up here from William Tyndale. Christ is with us into the world's end. Therefore, let his little flock be bold. Love that quote. And the reason that's so powerful is because Jesus, who is the Lord of all things, is with you. So even though Paul wrote some of his letters from a prison cell imprisoned by the government, he was still bold to preach the gospel because he knew Jesus was with him. And this is really the heart of what I'm trying to say this morning, is that we should not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with all the political fighting and ugliness. And I I have a feeling it is going to be worse starting tomorrow. The lawsuits that President Trump is going to file, and the backlash because Joe Biden has already been declared by the media the president, and those things are not yet officially certified. There's, there is a swirling storm that we are living in right now, politically. And what this message is about is to recenter our heart and our focus not into that storm of what's what's going on, but into our responsibility as Christians. That's what it's about. The gospel is of first and central importance. I got a history book here. Highly recommended. It. It's called Turning Points. It's by Mark Knoll, a very famous Christian historian. Listen to what he says about these verses. The Christian faith would take root in particular cultures, and it would profoundly shape individual peoples, regions, and nations. But Christianity would belong to none of them. Rather, the church would exist to bear witness to God's love revealed in Christ and to bear that witness throughout the whole world. The role of the church inside of whichever government it finds itself in, whichever corner of the globe it finds itself in, communist China, Venezuela, democratic America, somewhere in between France or Australia, Wherever it finds itself, the gospel is not to be shaped by that culture, it is to be a voice to that culture that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died for the sins of this people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That is what we are to be about. It doesn't change the fact that this is just kind of uh, almost esoteric, like this is the way you're supposed to think, and it is. It's the biblical way we're supposed to think, but there is action that we can and should be taking right now, and I want everybody to turn with me to First Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read just the first two verses. There's a lot here, but First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now I don't think he means to go through the phone book and pray for every name starting in the A's. But I think what he means is All kinds of people. The people that are in your life. But specifically, he gets specific in verse 2 about who we're supposed to be praying for. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. We are supposed to pray for kings, all who are in high positions, that we, look at the three things, number one, may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Number two, that we may be godly and dignified, number three, in every way. We are supposed to be praying for our leaders. The biggest mistake we can make is to just join the cacophony of voices in whichever direction they go, in whichever direction you think is most politically correct, and just demonize everybody that's not like us. What we should be doing so that we can have a quiet, peaceful, godly life, dignified in every way, is praying. If... Joe Biden is in fact our president, we should be praying for him. If Trump is the, if he winds up winning and all these recounts that are going to happen and everything else, we should be praying for him. We should be praying for our governors, we should be praying for our legislators, we should be praying for every aspect of government because that's what we are commanded to do. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, thanksgivings, intercessions be made. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. It's way easier just to be angry. I get it. Or to view other people who don't view it the way that you view it as stupid or ridiculous The rest of this book talks about quarreling and divisiveness. Talks about how that will get inside of a heart, and that will get inside of a church, and start breaking people apart. And we start viewing each other through a lens that the world gave us, and bring that in to view a brother and sister in Christ. Abandon the biblical lens, adopt a worldly lens, and then judge based on a worldly standard. Sin, that is the bottom line of what that is. We should judge righteously and love our brothers and our sisters fiercely and fight for unity and love at all costs, including the cost of my pride and yours. Uncertainty and division is everywhere in our nation. My message is simply trust that God is in charge of those who are in charge. Whether it's Trump or whether it's Biden or whether it's somewhere in Australia. It doesn't matter where. He's in charge of those who are in charge. And when all the dust settles, whoever is clearly the pre- President of the United States, then we must do what He tells us to do here, which is pray for them, which is to honor them, show them the respect that they're due, be careful both at home and in private, be careful, I'm raising my hand on that, be careful on the words coming out of our mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and be careful about how we treat whoever is in charge. I want to read for you a prayer that a friend of mine posted. B.J. Earps, how many of you know B.J.? He, he was a pastor of uh, Day um for years. Uh, he and Mark White, Mark is still here. B.J. is now a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force, which is really cool, totally unique opportunity for him. So whoever becomes president, obviously ultimately becomes his boss as commander-in-chief. I want you to hear because uh, I think this prayer that he typed out is an indicator of what it sounds like to honor and respect who's in charge. And he is making the assumption that Joe Biden is president, and more than likely he will be. He says, A prayer for Biden. My Father in Heaven, I come before you to pray for Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., the 46th President of the United States. Do you hear respect right off the bat? You tell me to offer prayer for kings and all who are in high positions, and I submit these requests to you. Lord, outside of his responsibility as a husband and father, Joe Biden now shoulders the greatest responsibility he has ever carried. He will face decisions that impact everyone in the country. He will need wisdom to make those decisions, sound counselors to provide perspective and guidance, and courage to act, knowing many will be displeased once decisions are made. Will you give him wisdom, wise counsel, and courage? Father, pride always goes before destruction. You tell us to humble ourselves before you. I cannot imagine the onslaught of temptation that comes with sitting in the highest seat in our land. Protect him from pride that would destroy not only his personal relationships, but would also be destructive in the political arena and public landscape. No field is more infected by the use of bribes than politics. By then, men and women advance their agendas and jockey for power. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. While many will extend hands to President Biden while holding forbidden fruit, give him the fortitude to resist and the conviction to be repulsed by bribes. God, you revealed yourself to your people as a father, and we who are united to Jesus by faith are your children. An estimated 3,000 children will be killed today. Because those murders will take place in the womb, the justifications for our nation's modern holocaust are abundant. Joe Biden will have the opportunity to, affect, to act to provide protection for the most vulnerable among us. Will you break his heart and bring light to his eyes for this great evil? Please use him to stop this slaughter. A unified people may accomplish great and abiding works in this world. We stand on a foundation provided us by untold millions who sacrificially laid down their rights and entitlements for you and our nation. We have wandered far from this heritage. We are the prodigals living off of our father's inheritance. God, you know better than us the future we face, when pursuing individual appetites rather than the collective good. Would you awaken us? Would you grant repentance that we might honor you as a nation and be fueled by sacrifice and not bound by selfishness? Use President Biden to unite us. Father, these are great petitions, but you are a great God able to answer this and more. Nothing you could ever give would be greater than what you have already given in your Son, Jesus. Whether you answer my prayer or not, you have given more than I could ever think or ask in sending your Son to save me. Thank you for hope and joy in Jesus, unaffected by politics and everlasting in a world of change. That is a prayer. Church, I want to call all of us to pray. To love our neighbor. To not give in to what's easy. And what's easy is anger. What's easy is, I don't like this and I don't like that. And you know, the last four years have been full of it. From every angle and from every area. And it doesn't look like it's going to improve. But we don't have to be a part of that. We can be a city standing on a hill, letting our light shine. That's what we can do. And we can do that by changing our prayer routine to include regular prayers for the leaders of our country, which will change the way we talk and think. It is hard to pray for people and hate them at the same time. So we're going to end today by taking communion, and I'm going to have the worship team to come up. I may not have said everything that I could say or should say, but I know that this is what is right, is to approach this issue in this moment of our nation, biblically, at the cost of our own personal feelings and opinions. And in particular in the church at a time where we need to be unified these little vine creepers that want to get in even to the brick and pull it apart can't let that happen. Communion presence of Christ, um, where we boldly declare, this is why we're gathered together, this is why we're here, is to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is what's central. More than anything else, that is what is central. And we are going to take this together this morning as a family, so... What I want to have everybody do, if you want to stand up with me, we dismiss by rows to come up and receive the elements. I just want to start with the first rows, if you Just head back to your seats. body of Christ. Jesus broke it on the night that he was betrayed and he presented it to his disciples. He said, take eat, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. The same way after supper he took the cup. He said, this is the blood covenant, represents the cleansing, sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all sin. We are clean today not by works that we have done, not by doing enough or believing all the right things, but we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take this together.
1: just trust in him but let's say Lord I do believe just help me today help me right where I am you know I have unbelief so I humble myself before you and I ask you to help me Lord I believe help me with my unbelief come on and sing that to him Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief, Lord, I believe.
0: Lord, as we dismiss this morning, we pray for this country that we are privileged to live in. God, I pray for Your mercy. pray for Your healing. God, I pray for us in this church that we would be lights in a dark place. That we would not be swept up in the tidal wave of anger or angst or opinion. But God, we would stay rooted grounded in You and in Your love and in Your kingdom. God, give us grace. Give us wisdom. Remind us that You are in charge of those who are in charge. Lord, we thank You for it today. In the precious name of Jesus, Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed to go love, love, Everybody and all of the above, thank you all so much.